This is episode 115 with former 100K world champion, two-time Warrior Dash world champion, world mountain running champion, and a multiple-time runner of the year award winner, Mr. Max King. Hey everyone, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I have a very special episode for you today. Joining me is someone I consider a renaissance man of running, one of the most exciting athletes to follow because of his ability to excel in nearly every running discipline there is. From trail races to cross-country and ultra-marathons, obstacle course races to the track, short distances on up to 100 miles, and even mountain running and the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Max King can do it all. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being on a coaching panel at the 2019 U.S. Trail Running Conference, and Max came on as the moderator at the last minute, which was a real treat because while I had spoken with Max before, I had never met him in person, and it's always great to take things offline and meet in real life. And in this conversation, we're focusing on how Max is able to excel in so many different types of running events. After all, you need very different types of fitness and physical skills to succeed on the track versus a trail ultramarathon. And the same is true for mountain running and obstacle course races. Now, I also want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Rakay. They make world-class, sustainable running socks from recycled materials, including from reclaimed ocean plastic, with anti-odor tech and a lifetime guarantee. If you want to get yourself some great socks and help preserve our marine ecosystems at the same time, check out their new eco-white lineup at Rakay. That's R-O-C-K-A-Y.com. You can also take 10% off their running socks with discount code SG10. Now that's all spelled out, S-G-T-E-N. Now let's move on to the main event. Max King is a tour de force in the mountain running, trail, ultra marathon, OCR, and road racing worlds. And I'm thrilled to bring his perspectives to the Strength Running Podcast. Please welcome Mr. Max King. Hey, Max, good to have you on the pod. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. How have you been since the U.S. Trail Running Conference a few weeks ago? I actually had no idea you were going to be there, so it was a pleasant surprise. And and then to have you moderate the coaching panel that I was on was a real treat. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely cool to be there. I'd never been there before, and this was kind of a new experience. I didn't know really what to expect out of it, actually, but it turned out to be like a lot more valuable than I thought it was going to be. Um, I actually like personally got some um, pretty good learnings out of it. Um, and then, you know, just business-wise as well, made some good connections and networked and stuff. And so it was actually um, pretty helpful to be there. So it was awesome. And I was yeah. pretty happy with it. It was my first time there too. And uh, Terry Chiplin, the director, I think puts on a, a great conference. And yeah, I think everyone there was just so you know, so into trail running and it was such a great little snapshot of the trail community. And, uh, it was just so nice seeing so many different people that I've met and briefly in the past or, or talked to virtually and have them all together in one spot. It was, it was great. Yeah. I kind of expected, I thought it was going to be just kind of too small to really get anything out of, but the race directors that were there were really into it. Um, and they had a lot of really good knowledge, which was cool. And then um, just a couple of the vendors were really valuable. Um, and then the panelists and stuff had a lot of really good insight into different things, um, like your panel with the training and 
Um, the I liked uh, especially like the sustainability ones um, with uh, like Vic, who was talking about um, just runners for public lands, um, where how they started that organization earlier this year and stuff. And so um, it was it was pretty neat. It was good. I got a lot out of it, which was nice. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can start there because, um, you know, the issue of public lands and running, I think, is really important. And I know it's something that is a passion for you. And, you know, for me, I admittedly don't know too much about the entire topic and issue. I'm just not too educated on it. So maybe we can just start with you talking about why you're so passionate about the topic of public lands and really what that means for runners. Sure. I mean, you know, I guess when you think about like where you run, um, no matter if you're a road runner or a trail runner, you're going to be running on public land. It's, it's mandatory. You have to, um, you can't go on private land. So if you think about like kind of what we need in order to, uh, perform our sport or to do our sport or to get out, um, and actually do it, uh, we're always going to need some public lands, whether that's at the city level, um, kind of a county level, state level, national level. So I always kind of feel like the more that we have, the more opportunities that we have. Um, and so, you know, I'm a pretty big advocate for public lands because that's what I use all the time. That's, um, you know, that's kind of my outlet and my way to get or get out into nature and um, to see uh, to see everything around me and stuff. And so um, just I don't know. I mean, pretty passionate about it because like, I run into private lands all the time and it's got some really cool land feature that I want to go check out and I can't do it, you know, and I'm like frustrated because I can't just go do it. And nobody is using that land. Nobody, um, nobody has access to it. It's restricted. Um, and that's, that's hard for me to handle. Um, just because I can, I'm one of these people that loves to get out and I want to see everything and I want to go to different, different places and have different adventures and, um, new adventures and stuff. And so I'm always looking for those little pockets of, you know, public land out there that are like really scenic, really cool, um, and, and have something for me to explore, um, and basically if I look at a map, um, you know, all of those places that I want to explore are just the, those, all those places that I haven't been to yet. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like where, like, that's my perspective on it. Um, that's where I come from. Um, but you know, there's so much more value in, in having those public lands too. And, um, in other, you know, for other reasons other than just to go run on it or something like that. But, um, that's just kind of where I come from just because I'm a trail runner and uh, runner in general. Yeah. You're an explorer for sure. Now, is there anything going on currently that, that would put the future of public lands at stake? Um, I'm not too up on the news on this topic either. Yeah. And unfortunately I can't speak specifically, um, just because I'm not up on it as much as I should be, but yeah, definitely there, there is a lot of threats right now to, to our public lands and stuff. And, um, whether that's, you know, turning lands over to state, um, to state governments, um, that can't, that can't care for it, that don't have the budget to care for it. And they start selling them off to, um, kind of the federal government, um, trying to transfer some of those lands over to private holdings or open them up even to, um, like drilling oil and gas exploration, stuff like that, where, it's going to cut us off, like the, the like the recreation side of things. It's, it's going to get cut off um, from exploring those lands because there are going to be other entities on those lands that are going to be very restrictive. 
Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of threats right now to public lands. And it's something that everybody that's out there that is a runner kind of needs to be diligent about um, and follow it um, and learn about it and um, really kind of like figure out what they can do to, to voice their concerns with um, their local congressmen or senators or um, anybody like that that's going to listen to them and going to have some kind of a say on how those public lands are used. You know, I don't think I fully appreciated how amazing our public lands are until I moved to Colorado. And I think there is just so much public land here. And if you go out into the Front Range, out into, you know, any any of the big parks in the mountains, you know, that's where you are. You're on public land and it's just so unbelievably gorgeous. And, uh, you know, I try to get out there whenever I can because, you know, it, it, it's just such a treasure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, a lot of us in the West kind of start to take it for granted a little bit because there is so much. Um, but if you if you live on the East Coast, you realize, or in the Midwest, you realize like um, how sparse that uh, public land is and how patchy it is. Um, and I got to say, like we are super lucky in the U.S., um, but also in on you know just being in the West uh, to have so much public land that we can explore. I mean, there's vast tracks out here that are, um, you know, not, not, there's no people on it and you can go run, um, and not see anybody for, you know, long periods of time. You know, I was a U.S. government undergraduate, um, when I went to school and, you know, for me, I look at this and this is such an American tradition to set aside land for public use because we value recreation, we value the great outdoors. And we also recognize that, you know, as soon as we develop some of these just stunningly beautiful places, they're gone and there's really no getting them back. And so, you know, from Teddy Roosevelt setting up all the national parks, not all of them, but many of them, um, you know, there's there's such a great tradition in this country of preserving and protecting these lands. And, and I think it'd be a shame if we were to stop doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you, you talk about Teddy Roosevelt and there's a whole host of guys behind him that um, kind of set that stuff in motion even earlier on. And a really good book um, is Our Public Lands or America's Public Lands. Um, and it just kind of goes through that history of how all of these different um, public land designations got set up from the national parks to the BLM, to the forest service, to the fish and wildlife lands. And um, it's each one is a little bit different um, in their purpose and um, the reason for being set up and how they were set up. Um, but it's really interesting to, to see that history and stuff. And, you know, even today, like a lot of the public lands um, that are out there, people don't realize it, but um, they were, they were, they were meant for people to have um, through um, homesteading. And what happened was after a while, all the homesteaders kind of came out here and they found the usable land, they homesteaded that. And then a lot of that land um, was just kind of given back to, to the federal government um, because, or it was just never, never homesteaded because it wasn't really usable. And so a lot of that, you know, it, a lot of people will say a lot of times, you know, oh, well, you got to give it back to the states or give it back to the people. Well, we never like people in states never really had um, had control or possession of any of the lands out here in the West. And it's always been federal government land. Um, and so, you know, that's one of those historical things that, you know, people don't understand um, where 
um, or what happened to those lands and why they are, why we have so much land out here in the West, like in the BLM lands and stuff that would have been set up for homesteading, except they just weren't usable at the time. Um, and so that that's pretty interesting to kind of read that history. And I find it so ironic as kind of a, a buff of political science that uh, public federally owned land is not considered our land. Like, oh, let's give it back to the people. <laughs> that's that's what public land is, is land for everyone. It is all of ours. Yeah. So I, I just find that funny. Yeah. Um, Max, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your career because you just had such an incredible journey over the years. And, and I really consider you to be a type of running renaissance man with your ability to crush just on roads, trails, or the track. You do short track distances up to the 100-mile ultra. You've done more nuanced events like mountain running, uh, OCRs, obstacle course racing, even the steeplechase, which is an old love of mine. I did that in college. And I guess you don't really care about what you're doing as long as you're running, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it's just it's one of those things where it's all kind of fun um, and I want to be on my feet, traveling on my own two feet. And so, yeah, I'll jump into pretty much anything. Um, you know, just, uh, let me race. I love competing. I love racing against other people and stuff. And I love trying new things and new events. That's kind of part of the fun of it. And so that's why I've kind of, um, I guess dabbled in a lot of different things over the years is, you know, keep things interesting, mix it up. And I stay motivated that way. So when did you start running? Was this something that you were kind of always into at the beginning or did you start with a specific sport? Yeah. Um, no, I was, I actually started running in seventh grade. I ran track and field, um, and distance obviously through, um, well in, in seventh grade, eighth grade, and then, um, got into cross country and track in high school, but I'd played like, you know, I'd done other sports. I, I played baseball in fifth grade, sixth, sixth grade. And then, uh, played some basketball in seventh grade. And well, I was pretty terrible, honestly, at you know, <laughs> kind of ball sports where you need hand-eye coordination. So it was kind of like one of those natural things that I just moved into and, and had some, you know, natural talent and ability in that, like right off the bat. And I just, I mean, as early as like fifth or sixth grade, it's like, I knew that I was going to be a runner because I could, you know, beat everybody in PE class and stuff. So it was pretty obvious, you know? Now, were you always oriented towards, you know, more diverse types of running, um, you know, as you started getting into the sport in high school and then beyond in college, or did you maybe learn that lesson the hard way? No, I was like, I was never your like typical runner. I mean, you look at my body type in general, like it's just like not kind of that typical runner's type body. Um, and so I was always doing a little bit of different stuff anyway. Um, I was always better at cross country than I was at like a, a flat out track race. Um, I never made it to state in, in high school in track, but I made it in cross country, um, things like that. Um, I grew up kind of running around out in the woods, um, kind of in my younger years in like second, third, fourth grade. And, um, and that was kind of, I think where I, I learned, you know, like it obviously doesn't like make an imprint and you're like, Oh, I'm a trail runner. Cause I'm out running in the woods in third grade. But at the same time, that kind of, um, set my baseline for what I like to do. Um, and so later on, as I got in more into running and stuff, it's like cross country became kind of that natural fit. And then even within cross country, it was always those 
courses that were more demanding. They were harder. They were, you know, adverse conditions. They were muddy. It was cold. It was hot. It was, you know, more technical, whatever it might be that always, um, kind of lent itself, uh, to be more of my, that, that was more of my advantage. Um, and so, you know, even in like training and stuff, the harder the workout was, the better I would do against our team in college. Um, we do these kind of nutty runs that our coach would have us do, um, where we'd pick, you know, we'd be standing on a golf course and there he would say, run over to the water tower, which is about a mile away. And it was down a really steep hill through the brush across a river, up the bank on the other side, pick your way through some cliffs and then run up a steep hill to this water tower. And it's like, yeah, I just absolutely crushed that. It was like, you know, it was obstacle racing before there was obstacle racing just within our team. And it's like, yeah, that was to me was like the most fun thing that we ever did in practice. And so it was always things like that that were getting my attention. It was like when everything was normal, it was boring. You know, if we had to run a 5k on a track, I just like, I don't know, I just did not excel at that. And it wasn't as much fun. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I uh, purposefully avoided the 10K on the track in college. You know, I, I wouldn't touch that event with a 10 foot pole. It was just not for me. 25 right. laps around an outdoor track is just the definition of boring in my mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, w with you doing those kinds of workouts and, and it's just, it just seems so much fun. And, you know, I, I don't think many kids these days do those kinds of, you know, run across a river and up through, you know, crazy hills. And I'm sure there's liability issues today. D do you think that w with kids today that we're forcing a lot of specialization on them a little bit too young? Yes and no. I mean, there's definitely like specialization in a lot of sports. I wouldn't necessarily say that track and field or running in general is one of them. But there is a lot of specialization where kids are like, you know, full time all year long in soccer or might be lacrosse or wrestling. Um, and a lot of things have shown like, you know, the more well-rounded you are, the longer your your athletic career is, um, the better your athletic career is. And I mean, I know you get really good at what you're doing, um, but it tends to I see a lot of burnout and stuff with those kinds of sports that are really kind of pushing uh, kids to be in it all year long. And I mean, sometimes with running, for sure, I've seen some kids who like are so dedicated to their sport. And I, I don't know if this comes from their coach or not. I mean, maybe, um, but they definitely have some burnout just from running and stuff because they're kind of trying to do it all year round. I'm one of those people who like definitely like, you know, push for kids doing a lot of different sports, um, and even if they are a really good runner. And, you know, I think on top of, that side of things of, you know, pushing for specialization. I think a lot of the fear from coaches and kids in general is like just that they're going to get injured too. And I never really had that fear. I, I was always the one getting injured from doing something stupid like that. But like in the long run, it was um, always something that I, I loved doing. And I saw that as like more of an advantage, part of my personality to do these stupid things and have fun doing it rather than say, Oh no, I'm not going to do it because I'm too afraid of getting injured. It's like, I just don't like going through life being afraid of stuff. I like trying new stuff. And that's why, you know, I've tried all these new things um, is because I think that's part of um, just your, you pushing yourself and finding out where your limits are is kind of pushing yourself through that fear of a, 
of all of that stuff, being injured, of not performing up to your potential, of all of that stuff. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think that's part of it as well is just that fear of, of being injured or, or not performing or something too. Yeah. I think when it comes to injuries, I think, you know, you might be able to specialize, especially when you get to high school, if that's what you really want to do. You know, and I was one of those people too. I wanted to run cross country, indoor track and outdoor track all four years of high school and all four years of college, just because I loved running so much. And there's certainly different ways that you can structure it so that, you know, while you're specializing, you're also working on other types of physical skills so that you're not, you know, letting, you know, your strength or your mobility, et cetera, to atrophy. Um, You know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about when it comes to specialization is the fact that whenever we talk about this, we're always talking about specialization with regard to kids. You know, when do we get them to specialize with running? When should they not be specializing? And we rarely talk about adults because, you know, with my, with strength running, I coach primarily adult, you know, runners who are running, you know, training for all kinds of different events, whether it's ultras or marathons, half marathons. But one of the things that I've found is that so many adult runners specialize in the marathon when they're only a year or two into their running career. So they might start running as an adult. Within a year or two, they're running two or three marathons a year, year after year after year. So this is kind of specialization on the other side of the coin. It's it's when you're older, you, you kind of fall in love with a single event and you're solely focusing on that. Do you see any kind of problems with this kind of an approach to running for for an adult? Definitely as an adult, you're a lot more mature. You you kind of know a little bit more what you want. I don't I don't know if I would say there are problems with it, like from a mental perspective, because I do I do see adults out there, some of my, you know, peers and stuff who I was running uh, professionally with, like in the mid 2000s, who are still they're still focused on the marathon and doing really well. Um, some of them are not, but some of them are still doing really well. And they've been focused on that marathon for 10 plus years. I couldn't have done that for sure. Um, but a lot of these, a lot of people can, um, if you're new to running and you're getting into it and you're only, you know, a couple of years into your running career and you're specializing in it, um, you know, mentally you're pretty fresh, your body's pretty fresh. But at the same time, the longer I feel like you specialize in one particular thing and continue those same kinds of workouts, one, like I think it leads to injury if you're not careful, um, if you're not kind of branching out and doing some other stuff, whether that might be strength or cross training or whatever, just to try and develop like some of those other muscles and balance things out a little bit. Um, but also like two, you can kind of get a little stale in, um, in your own training if you're not mixing it up and, um, stimulate, stimulating your, your body in different ways too. You're, you're getting stale. If you're doing the same workouts over and over and expecting to continue to get better, you need to mix that up and then change, um, change those workouts, um, change what, like how you're stimulating your body in those workouts and stuff like that in order for your body to get better. 
I love how you talked about both the physical and mental side of things, because I think you're definitely right. When you're older, you know what you want. And if that's what you want, you're probably not going to deal with any kind of psychological burnout with chasing after a faster marathon. Maybe you're going after a Boston qualifier or something like that, you know, because you're you're doing what you want to do. But like you, I kind of see the issue with the physical side of things and, you know, always doing exactly what you want isn't necessarily the best way of getting what you want. And sometimes you have to take a step back from the marathon and do something else, focus on cross training, strength, you know, train for a fast 5k, which will require a totally different skill set that obviously transfers very well to the marathon. You know, I remember talking a while back with Andy Wacker, who's another uh, mountain runner here in Colorado. And, and he was saying that, look, running is running. Fitness is fitness. You know, you train for a mountain race, you're probably in good shape to run a fast, flat road race. And so I, I think runners need to um, keep that in mind and not necessarily pigeonhole themselves into one distance, you know, for the rest of their running career. No, absolutely. And I mean, the more like you can stimulate your body, it's the better that it's going to get, um, no matter what that fitness is. I mean, Andy's right. It's like, yeah, if you are in shape, you're in shape and you can run pretty much anything you want to with a little bit of specialization training for that specific race. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about your training and how you stimulate your body to be so good at such a wide variety of events. You know, like I mentioned before, you've done excellent at the ultra marathon distances, the steeplechase, obstacle course racing races, different trail races. What elements of training are you cycling in and cycling out and what's always included in your training? I'm trying to get a good idea of how Max King trains. Yeah. I mean, you know, first and foremost, it's that base of consistency. And I feel like that's been probably my key, my secret. I don't know. Um, over the years, it's like, I've never had a really bad injury until like the last like uh, year and a half, two years. Um, and then, so I've always been very, very consistent in my training. Um, and so I've been able to do what I want when I want to do it rather than being beholden to like injury schedules and stuff like that. So that's a big plus. So I'm always got a really good base. Um, and then on top of that, like that really good base, like I put in, um, so your standard stuff, like that you're always working on for gaining fitness, which is a lot of like threshold work. Um, there's always a lot of threshold work in there, whether that's uphill or flat, um, working on, you know, just raising that lactate threshold or at least keeping it where, where it is. Um, and then, um, always keeping some VO2 max, uh, work in there. Um, through intervals or like uphill or flat intervals, um, stuff like that. And, you know, if you have that long run, that threshold run and those VO2 intervals in there, you're going to be in really good shape. And especially if you can do that consistently year in and year out, um, obviously with fluctuations for a little bit of rest or peaking for races, um, which adds in those other kind of stressors as well. Um, that you need. So the rest is going to let you absorb that training that you've been putting in. And then the peaks um, where you're trying to peak for a race, that's going to be that higher intensity, faster work that you're going to need in order to stretch your body that direction and get a little bit more out of it. And so, you know, there's that, that baseline of fitness where you always need those kind of three main components. 
um, which is always there in my training. And then on top of that, um, then you add in those specific elements to whatever race that your, um, that your target goal is. Um, so, you know, obviously steeplechase, it's a lot more track work, some hurdle work, um, obviously things like that for mountain running, it's going to be, um, shorter VO2 intervals, um, hills, um, kind of like good cross country training really. Um, and then you have your ultras, which, um, you know, for a hundred K or hundred mile mile ultra, it's adding in a little bit more into the long run. Um, it might be some more elevation gain throughout the week, um, as kind of a baseline, um, things like that, things that are going to be more specific to whatever race is coming up or whatever goal is coming up. And for obstacle course races, I'm assuming you're turning your backyard into a complete obstacle course, much to your wife's dismay. My garage, actually. It was my garage. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> so what kind of things do you actually do to prep for, you know, I, I know that you were the uh, Warrior Dash national champion. Was it two years in a row? World champion. We're, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, how could I? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. Um, I like that's the like, that's the funny thing about like some of the OCR races is they're very very different. So I did um, I did a Spart World Championship, got my butt kicked because you know I just needed to hit the gym a lot more, and most of that was like grip strength. Um, and there's a lot of upper body strength in in that kind of race as well. And then you get into Warrior Dash, which for me, it was like a really good cross country race. And the kind of thing that I used to really excel at in my college where there wasn't a lot of like strength, um, like components to it. It was just like how fast you can move through, um, like varied terrain and adverse conditions and stuff like that. And so, um, those warrior dashes, I'd train like it was a cross country race basically. Um, and then they always had like some obstacles that were like you crawl under it or you go through something or you go climb over something. And it's like, well, those are all like, you know, just kind of part of like running through the woods. Um, and so you can kind of focus on that kind of stuff and not have to worry about like the grip strength or like upper body strength all that much or anything like that. So they were just those were just like that was fun because that felt like a real cross country race. And, and I've said it on other podcasts before, but cross country in this country has just gotten away from that, um, the, the core roots of the sport and we're running grass tracks basically. And we rarely see a, a real cross country course anymore. Um, and things like that, the obstacle races, cyclocross races, um, they're, they're what I would consider more of a cross country type race than, than what we see for cross country nowadays. Yeah, I'm a little bit more of a purist as well, and I'd love to see some of these cross-country races look more like cross-country. And, you know, when I was in high school, a lot of the cross-country races were more like road races. I think maybe the race directors or our coaches were a little bit lazy and they didn't want to plan out, uh, you know, these big courses out in the woods. But, you know, I ran an, uh, a Warrior Dash obstacle race in 2012 when I was in really good 5K shape. And, you know, I was running a lot of trails and doing a fair amount of strength training. And, and like you, I just kind of thought it was like a glorified cross country race where you didn't necessarily have to, um, be really strong to get over the obstacles. You just needed to cover them and go over them very quickly. And, uh, it, it was so much fun. And, and I ended up actually winning the Maryland warrior dash in 2012, right. uh, just because I was in good 5k shape and you, you really don't have to be, you know, the, the typical Spartan warrior image to, to do well at an OCR for sure. Yeah. Well, and 
honestly, like that's part of what I really like about obstacle racing. I'd love to do more. I just, I haven't been doing it. There's just too much to focus on in trail running right now. But, um, you know, it's the different body types out there. You get everybody from like that skinny runner on the start line of a Spartan race or an obstacle race to like the big, you know, gym guys just like ripped who can still run sometimes. <laughs> and they're like really fast and they're huge. And they're really strong and they can just like crush the obstacles and maybe like the, the skinny runner guys like gets ahead of them on the running section and then they get up to an obstacle and then the big guy like crushes that obstacle and gets back ahead of the runner. And so it's really fun to see those dynamics and the different types of like different body types on the start of an OCR race. Um, and that's part of one of the, one of the big reasons I really like it. It totally like opens up if you're a runner and you go to an OCR race, it's like, uh, like a lot of runners feel pretty intimidated on the start line because they're, it's a very different crowd than what you get at a running race. Yeah. I remember with the warrior dash I did, you know, they were shooting fire out of, uh, you know, right near the finish and starting line. And, you know, everyone is like a foot taller than me. Cause I'm not the tallest guy out there. And I'm like, what, what kind of race is this? This is not what I'm used to coming from, you know, the, the pure running background, but yeah, I can imagine how something like particularly a Spartan race where the obstacles are more strength oriented that, you know, you really level the playing field by, by having those obstacles in there. And then people who, you know, it's almost like a triathlon, there's multiple disciplines and you have to be good at all of them to really excel. And so I, I think it, it's a great almost excursion from real running for runners because we get to focus on other aspects of our physical fitness like strength like mobility and that's going to help us in our running when we go back to you know more standard running events yeah absolutely and you know you get a lot of runners into like an ocr race and they realize like how limited they are in their on their motion and stuff um and you know it's like some of the guys in ocr races i mean like the ones at the front, I mean, they're good at everything, um, whether they're big or they're skinny or what they're good at all of like the obstacles and the running part of it. And then throw in a runner that kind of thinks, Oh, this is easy. I'm going to, I'm going to totally crush this. A lot of those runners get pretty humbled by that because they're not used to moving that way and they can't move that way. They don't have the mobility of an athlete anymore. They've got the mobility of a runner and it's really, really limited. And so, yeah, they just, they get in there and like realize they just can't do some of that stuff. They don't move that way. And I think learning how to move that way is just going to make you a better runner. And so I'd love to talk more about exactly that, maybe strength and mobility uh, with how you incorporate this in your training, because, you know, clearly you need to be strong to do very well at an obstacle course race. But I think what's not so clear is that you have to be pretty strong in in different ways than say, if you're a track athlete for an ultra marathon, for trail races, for the steeplechase. So I'd love to hear more about what you do for your strength training and kind of what that looks like. Sure. Um, this is a bad time to ask me that because <laughs> I've been injured. Are you being inconsistent with your strength work right now? I have been, I've been really inconsistent with it lately because, and I'll tell you why. Um, so lately, like, so the last year and a half, I've had some planner issues where my foot has been really bugging me and fitness has been lower because of that. Um, and so the last, the few last few months, um, I've really slacked off on my strength training because I was so focused on just, 
um, putting all the extra time and energy into getting my feet better, basically, and just trying to get back to where I was running and running pain free and healthy and stuff. And so, you know, always at the back of my mind, I was like, ah, geez, I got to get back into the gym. And, you know, it just honestly, it helps with a lot of different things. And like we just mentioned, the motion, um, just movement and stuff. I can tell like when I'm not doing that kind of stuff, like I don't move as well. I get a little like I'm stiffer in the morning um, and stuff like that. And so if I can get into the gym or at least be doing some kind of um, movement other than running, like it helps with my mobility and everything. And um, so anyway, if, like going back a ways, like I've always done kind of that um, low weight, high rep kind of um, typical trainer type workouts. Um, I've been doing that since the early 2000s. We, where I was working at the time um, in my engineering job, we had at lunch hour, we always had somebody come out, a trainer and, and do that. So I did that for a long time, um, started doing yoga and stuff with that. And just notice, like, you know, I was, I was much healthier when I was doing it and doing it consistently, um, than when I wasn't. And then a few years ago, um, I started in, so there's all of the new research about coming out about, um, Olympic weightlifting and heavy weightlifting for, um, endurance athletes and how that can actually help, um, help increase your, your power and your speed and everything else. So I started doing some of that, um, the past few years. Um, and working on working with a trainer, um, specifically on like moving better. Um, so instead of like the low weight stuff where it's a little less important to move correctly because you don't have the weight on you. Um, so moving a little bit better, um, moving more consistently and moving in the right ways and then adding weight on and lifting heavy. Um, and for a few years in there, um, it started like really kind of getting a lot more out of that. I noticed I was, um, moving even better, um, uphill ability felt like it increased, um, got a little bit better at hills, um, and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, fell off the wagon within the last couple of months or so just because of my injuries and stuff. But I will say that I finally, finally got back in the gym yesterday. So I'm, I'm on my way back. So finally got in there, did a short workout yesterday, um, just working on like those, those types of movements that I haven't been doing for a while and stuff. And, you know, and through all of this, I've still been doing something. It's like, can't do anything because I just bind up and I get injured again. So like, I'm always working on my hips. I'm always working on some core exercises. Um, and, um, I'm always doing some yoga and usually like, since I've been working on my feet, trying to get those better, it's like, you know, maybe it's 10, 15 minutes a day, um, or every other day, but just that small amount may, makes a really big difference. And I can tell the difference after a couple of days of doing those movements that, um, that I'm just healthier. I can move better. I wake up in the morning, get out of bed and I'm not as stiff, that, that sort of thing. So even that small. Amount. Yeah. That stuff is really powerful. Yeah, isn't it, it is. I, um, you know, I have a bunch of different strength and core routines that are, you know, more specific to runners and their needs. And, you know, when I first start working with someone, I have them start doing them after every one of their runs and they don't take too long, 10 to 20 minutes, something like that. And, you know, a lot of the exercises are taken from the worlds of physical therapy. So if you get hurt, you go to a PT's office, you're going to be doing a lot of the same exercises depending on what injury you have. And it's amazing how almost every single runner after a couple of weeks just feels totally transformed because they're not necessarily that much stronger, but I feel like they have a much better ability to move. Yeah. And, you know, with you talking about 
weightlifting in the gym and getting into some more Olympic lifts, you know, you did mention adding on some weight and doing some heavier weightlifting, which I think is really important, but you really emphasized how it's all about the movement. It's not necessarily how much you're lifting. And, you know, I was working with, um, a strength coach up in Boulder, Colorado on a strength program. And, you know, he was always saying how, you know, it's not just how much you're lifting, it's practicing the movement. Because when we're talking about weightlifting for runners, it's really about coordination training under resistance. And if we can get good at those movements with weight on them, then you're going to be so much more of a mobile runner and you're going to feel much better when you're out there running. Your economy is going to improve. There's just so many things to like about it. And and I appreciate you putting the emphasis on movement rather than just throwing around a ton of weight in the weight room. You know, when I started doing the heavy weightlifting stuff, it really took a long time to notice any difference at all. Um, and like, and it wasn't real noticeable even at like after that, it was kind of like one of those things where it's real subtle, maybe I'm stronger, maybe not. But, um, you know, when I do the movement type stuff, when I'm doing the small exercises, low weight, you've got all this muscle mass that you, you know, you just don't use it. You're not recruiting it when you're, when you're out there just running. And so you start doing all of these smaller movements and you start recruiting these muscles um, that you don't normally recruit. And all of a sudden, one, you stabilize joints and you get a lot more stable and then your efficiency um, and your economy goes up. And then all of a sudden you just get faster and you feel more flexible. You can move um, through your range of motion a little bit further. And that's, I feel like really where all of that increased performance comes from. And the strength is kind of like when you start adding weight, it's like when you've kind of maxed out that other stuff and you've maxed out what you can do on the, like if you're doing interval workouts or whatever, then you kind of add that strength on. And it's like that next little 1%, you know, and it's so small, but for a, for a, you know, professional athlete, it's a difference. Um, but for somebody else, like, you know, if you're training somebody that's, you know, not at their total potential, as far as running goes, like the more running they do is going to be more helpful along with those movements and stuff. For sure. And, you know, I fielded a lot of questions recently about, um, trail running and strength training. And, you know, the question is essentially is strength training less important for trail runners, you know, and and I think I get this question because a lot of runners are correctly thinking that part of the benefit of strength training is force production. So if you're running on the road, you're running on the track, you do want to exert a lot of force into the ground to help you run faster. And, you know, I always think that strength training is actually probably more important for trail runners because of that stability and and good movement aspect of, of the benefits of it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean like you said, the force production side of things, it's like, yeah, you get some more force production, um, you know, if you're stronger, which is going to help you go a little bit faster, but you're also recruiting a lot more muscle, um, and making, increasing your economy or your efficiency and stuff too. Um, and so you can become a better runner that way when you're trail running, um, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of different types of movements. You need to be able to stabilize a lot more. Um, I, you know, and I don't know if it's necessarily like more so for a trail runner, like more important to do that stuff than it is for a road runner. I mean, as a road runner, you're, you're doing that same repetitive motion all the time. And while you may not be trying to cut side to side, but 
you're still trying to stabilize all of those joints and everything. And you're still trying to work through, you know, the bigger, the range of motion in there, the bigger your stride can be, um, the faster you're going to go too. And so I don't know, it's, it's hard to like put a finger on like, yeah, it's, it's like strength training and, and that mobility side of thing is more important for a trail runner. I think you probably notice it a little bit more in trail running because of the ways that you have to move and stabilize. Um, but I don't know if it's more important or not, you know? Um, I know it's, it's a interesting point. Yeah. And I I don't think there's really a a great answer to it. It's more that, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where if you're going to cover technical terrain, you better have the mobility to do so and then the strength to stabilize your body. So whether it's more important, less yeah. important, I'm not sure, but I think we can agree that it is definitely important. It's definitely important. And I, I just, I don't know if it's more important. That's all. It's just like, it's definitely important for both. And um, one thing that I have noticed with trail running um, is if you take a runner who runs on the road all the time and then you put them on the trail and they have limited strength in both, then their trail running is going to suffer a lot more by not having that strength than their road running will. So in that respect, I guess, like put it that way, like it would be more important because like on a trail you do, like if you've got the strength, you can run roads and trails both well. If you don't have the strength though, you can still kind of get away with it on the road. Whereas on the trail, if you don't have that strength and stability, then it's really difficult to run more technical uh, terrain because you just don't have that strength to stabilize. And so um, you're, you know, constantly like kind of picking your way through rock fields and trying to put your feet on a stable platform or a stable foundation um, that you don't necessarily need if you have that strength to stabilize on something on ground that's uneven, for example, or something like that. Or if you're going downhill, it's a lot easier to stabilize and catch yourself um, than if you don't have the strength, things like that. So in that respect, I could see like it being more important for trail running, I suppose. Yeah. I think trails do expose more weaknesses that a runner might have just because of how hard it is to run them for sure. Now, Max, I was going to ask you about mobility training and, you know, I've been wrestling with this topic for, for this year, just because I've kind of had this epiphany about mobility training that it's not some specific individual separate thing that you have to focus on. Sure. We can do some dynamic flexibility drills. We can do technique drills, but you know, I've had this realization that mobility training really is your training. You know, it's the types of running that you're doing, the workouts, the strength training, and then all the other things that we might label as mobility, things like drills uh, or you know, dynamic flexibility work. How do you think about mobility training? And do you do certain individual separate things to work on your mobility? Yes. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean. Um, so usually when I'm working on my mobility, like if I'm in a training phase or like it's in the winter or whatever, um, and I'm in the gym, then it's kind of separate from like that training side of things. I do think of it as training though, if I'm in a training phase, um, and I'm in the gym doing specific movements for it. Um, however, like, you know, over the past two months or so, it's been the summer I've been outside a lot more. Um, and so, like I mentioned before, it's like, oh, I haven't been in the gym, so I haven't been doing my strength training. Well, uh, really, I, I mean, I still have, it's just in what I'm doing is just different. I'm not thinking about it as training as much because like I did a, like a 10 hour hike through the woods a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was all cross country. There was no trail. 
Um, we were walking up a creek, so it was un like unstable ground. We were climbing over trees. And so spending 10 hours doing that, I was wrecked the next day. And I was, we were just walking. And it was me and a buddy, and it was, you know, the, one of these like adventure hikes. And, um, you know, I look back on that, and I'm like, well, really, like I spent 10 hours basically in the gym that day doing strength and mobility movements. Um, I was, you know, using all of the different muscles in my body to climb over logs, to climb up stuff, um, to walk in a creek that had slick rocks. I was trying to stabilize for hours at a time. And so, you know, if you're doing that other stuff um, that you don't think about as training, like that stuff is totally works as your mobility work. Um, but if you're sitting at a desk job, um, which many of us do, um, and just doing your training as a run and then maybe going to the gym, then usually we tend to kind of think about that as, as, as our training time. And that's part of our training is going to the gym or doing those strength stuff and then running as part of that, um, training. So I don't know, there's different ways to think about it and, and different approaches to take. Um, it all kind of has the, the, a similar end result, but a little bit different takes on stuff. Yeah. And the way I think about it too, is, is that I want runners to practice moving very differently throughout the week so that they're not doing the same thing over and over again, because after all, what is a running injury? It's a repetitive stress injury. Yeah. So, you know, if we can vary that stress in a lot of different ways by, you know, running different paces throughout the week. So we're not just running easy all the time. You know, I think hill workouts are really phenomenal, you know, not necessarily structured formal hill workouts, but just running hilly terrain, I think is really good for practicing moving in a slightly different way. And then, you know, my favorite is trail running, you know, just like your, your story about hiking for 10 hours, you know, off the trail, you know, just getting out onto the trails, you're going to be running so much differently than you would out on the road. And I think it's a really important way to, you know, kind of work on our mobility in an indirect way. And, you know, the, the less we spend, you know, running really fast, running workouts, doing, um, you know, things like hill workouts and trail running. I think the more, the less we do that, the more we have to do the form drills and the strength training and those other things to keep ourselves mobile and strong and responsive for sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, it's like when I go through a period of time and I'm not, you know, going for hikes or I'm not outdoors a lot more and lifting stuff then I'm like, Oh, I need to get back in the gym because I actually need to focus on this stuff in order to get it in. Um, whereas if sometimes if it's in the summer and I'm, I'm working at a, a camp or something like that, it's like, I'm lifting, I'm moving different ways all week long and it kind of works the same way. But if I'm not getting that stuff in, then I got to hit the gym and be more specific about it. Yeah, I love that. Max, this was uh, really fun and, and super interesting to hear your thoughts on training and, and especially training for so many different types of races, you know, some extreme races like ultra marathons going all the way down to short obstacle course races. I know that's kind of a, a niche topic within the world of running, but I love talking about it because I think it's such a, an exciting type of event. But uh, what's next for you and, and where can we stay in touch with you? Yeah, um, good question as far as what's next. And I'm trying to kind of get ready for um, the CIM marathon, get, get back on the road, see if I can get a trials qualifier. Um, that that plan is um, is kind of up in the air right now. I've had some Achilles injury tendonitis since the conference um, when I last saw you, um, but that's better now. So I got a good workout in um, yesterday. But so 
that's up in the air, but I'd like to do it. So we'll see what happens with that. Otherwise, um, next year, going into next year, I don't know. I'm looking forward to a fun year, but I just don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, it's kind of one of these things where I have a lot of a lot of plans. I'd love to get back on the track, do a steeplechase again. It's been a long time since I've done that. Um, I'd love to do kind of some FKT attempts on some, you know, just big, gnarly, epic trails that I've, you know, that I've been wanting to do for years. Um, so I don't know. It, 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 we'll see. Uh, next year will be pretty interesting. But to follow along, I mean, I'm on Instagram at MaxKingOR um, and Facebook as well. Um, and I'm always putting stuff up there so you can kind of follow along with what I'm doing there. Well, cool, Max, you have some options and, you know, like I said, you're like running's Renaissance man and you're, you've got your hand in so many different pots. I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, that's the beauty of this sport. There's always something new to do and something that, you know, you haven't done before because there's new things coming along all the time and there's just so much out there, uh, just to explore, um, that it's. Uh, just, you know, tons of, tons of different stuff to do. So you can always find something that's uh, interesting to you. Well, you're, you're definitely motivating me to go find a type of race that I've never done before and just have at it and see what happens. Yeah. I think that's, well, uh, it's always in, exciting, right? Where are you at now? You're I'm in Denver. You're in Denver. Well, you always got uh, a lot of stuff on the front range there, a lot of FKTs there, and you always have tour to flat irons if you want to do some, some scrambly stuff. And I've never done any scrambly stuff. So I I was actually looking at some photos with you and Andy Wacker. I know he was at the trail conference too, doing some some scrambling. I don't know if it was in the front range, you know, near the flat irons in Boulder, but you know, you guys were just, you know, basically rock climbing and it looks yeah. like so much fun. It was. It was awesome. It was actually right there in Estes Park, um, that lumpy ridge area that's just all like granite rock and we were, we just got out one day after the conference and got after it. It was a ton of fun. Didn't do much running, but uh, got some pretty good little climbing routes in and stuff. And I don't know that to me, that's one of my favorite things to do is explore an area like that um, off trail, just scrambling around on the rocks and stuff. And yeah, just like that kind of stuff. Colorado is a good place for it, for sure. It is. Yep. All right, Max. Well, thanks again for making some time for us today and best of luck with getting healthy and then hopefully tackling some some big goals next year. Thanks a lot. Hey, Jason here one last time. I hope you found this conversation with Max King informative, entertaining, and probably most importantly, actionable. If you're able to implement just one suggestion or idea, you've gotten massive value from the podcast. And I hope you shoot me an email and let me know how you're doing. Our sponsor for today is the sock company Rockay. I've been wearing a pair myself now for about a month, putting through all kinds of torturous testing in a big snowstorm that we had here in Denver recently, and they're performing great. They have a seamless toe area to prevent blisters, and I love that they're 100% recycled, including getting a lot of their raw materials from ocean waste. And at a time when we're dumping more than 12 million tons of plastic into the ocean every year, Rock is reclaiming some of that to help runners with their training. Talk about a win-win. Each pair has anti-odor technology, a lifetime guarantee, and we even have a discount code. Use code SG10, all spelled out, so that's S-G-T-E-N, to save 10% on their socks at rockay.com. That's R-O-C-K-A-Y.com, and use code SG10 to save 10%. Thanks for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. Thank you for sharing it with your running friends. And thank you for loving this incredible sport. We'll talk soon.